your Locked On The Hockey Jets, your daily podcast on the Winnipeg Jets. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, 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 friends, and welcome to the Lockdown Winnipeg Jets podcast, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host, Harrison Lee, an avid Winnipeg Jets fan and an online blogger. You can follow me on Twitter at HLLivingLoco and follow our podcast Twitter at LO underscore Winnipeg Jets. As always, if you enjoy what you're hearing and want to catch up on previous episodes or stay tuned for future episodes, be sure to like, follow, and subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform of choice, including Apple, Spotify, Google, and the Megaphone app. Subscribing is free and keeps you up to date on the latest and greatest in Winnipeg Jets news and analysis. On tonight's episode, there is a decent amount of news to cover. We will be recapping the uh, the game against the Vancouver Canucks from last night later in this episode. But before we talk about about any of the fun stuff, I wanted to let you know that tonight's episode is brought to you by Built Bar. Go to builtbar.com and use promo code Locked On, and you'll receive 20% off your next order. Stay tuned to hear about why Built Bar might become your go-to protein bar. In addition to talking about the uh, Vancouver Canucks stuff later tonight, I did want to talk about some news items that popped up first. And of course, the biggest one dominating headlines right now is that uh, former NHL player and KHL coach Andre Nazarov has accused Artemi Panarin of beating an 18-year-old Latvian teenager in 2011 and has basically built an entire argument around the fact that uh, Panarin apparently has some sort of pattern of what he calls evil behavior. Artemi has uh, taken a leave of absence from the Rangers while everything kind of settles down, but the basic gist of this story is that um, Nazarov himself is actually a very pro-Putin figure and is somebody who has lambasted Panarin on numerous occasions for criticizing Putin's regime. Everyone recalls that just a few weeks ago, Artemi actually posted an anti-Putin, pro-Navalny post on Instagram or something, which I think most people were expecting Putin to have some kind of a response for. Nazarov appears to have made some comments that the Russian media ended up running with, and of course, this story would actually have plenty of information to check it out if it was legit. For one thing, you know, Nazarov alleges that Latvian police have arrest records, there's supposed to be some sort of a trial, but like, all of that would be pretty easily verified by anyone who was scouting Panarin at the time and basically anyone who looks up Latvian public trial or arrest records if those uh, pieces of information were out there, so it wouldn't exactly be hard to figure out if in fact this story holds any weight. As far as we know, no one has actually come forward to confirm any of the details thus far, and based on what we know about Nazarov's personal vendetta against Panarin and the Putin regime's likely intolerance of what, uh, you know, Panarin said about Navalny, I would imagine that this is more of a smear campaign than it is a substantive story. Now, of course, if anything changes, and in fact there is actually credence to the story, then I, I think the situation and narrative would certainly shift around this, but as of right now, it looks like a pretty dirty story from a fairly pro-Putin source, so I wouldn't really give it a whole lot of thought right now. It is something to keep an eye on, though, because I'm sure Panarin is very worried about friends and family that are back home in Russia, and he certainly doesn't want people getting caught in the crossfire here. I think he totally understood that at some point there would be retaliation. I don't think Putin necessarily ordered this specific stuff to happen, but I think there was a convenient opportunity when Nazarov spoke, so they probably just sort of ran with it. Either way, Russia's history with hockey players is very long and very complicated, and there was recently a story resurfacing about, you know, the days of when Malkin actually essentially defected to the U.S. secretly so he could play in the NHL. These sorts of occurrences aren't really new, and I, I don't think that uh, it'll be the last time it happens so long as this regime remains in power. So, you know, Panarin is going to have to be on his guard, and I think a lot of Russian players who may feel similarly about everything will also have to be on their guard as well. As we all know, politics and sports are uh, very uneasy bedfellows 
Goodfellas, even though in many ways sports is like the purest expression of politics. It's just very physical. We'll see what shakes out of the story. It just, for me, reeks a lot, and I, I don't think that many people actually take it all that seriously. Given the source and, and the backing that we see behind it, I, I can't imagine that most people are paying too, too much attention to it. Aside from that extremely crazy and, and dramatic stuff we have, on more normal hockey terms, we have a, a bit of a scoreline update from the Manitoba Moose versus the Laval Rocket. And of course, many of you are probably very interested to hear about how Cole Perfetti and Billy Heinola and Dylan Sandberg are doing for the Moose. This is actually a game in which all three players played a pretty pivotal role. Heinola had a brace of two goals, one of which was actually really funny, like uh, Jesse Yelonen actually sniped a really great own goal, and because Heinola was the last one to touch it, it was actually credited to Vili, so not exactly the way that you uh, you would expect to open your uh, AHL or NHL scoring account in North America, but hey, Heinola will take it. It's not like he hasn't deserved a goal up until now. He's been very good. Sandberg looked very comfortable. I mean, he continues to be a very physical, hulking presence, but he's also somebody who doesn't really overcommit, and though he is like a bit physically aggressive along the walls what I think really stands out about him for me at least is that he's very smart in transition he sniffs out dangerous counters very quickly and he uses his frame to cut those lanes out he's a big kid who actually uses his size to his advantage and doesn't really get caught in as many odd man situations or rough areas where you'd expect for somebody of his size he's very mobile he has a, a pretty decent defensive IQ and it seems like he's very comfortable joining the rush Perfetti was also noticeable out there. I felt like whenever he was on the puck, he was trying to really get around defenders and create space for his line mates. I think it's difficult for Cole right now because he's still a little bit slower than he probably wants to be, but it definitely looks like he's acclimating to this level pretty nicely. I think the challenge for him will be figuring out how to work around defenders in one-on-one -on -one matchups, and he's slowly getting there. He's been creating good passing and shooting lanes. Uh, a couple of really dangerous shots near the net have been let go from his stick, and he's had some great long-distance blasts too. He also drew a penalty late in the third period that ended up setting up the overtime winner for Vili Heinola, again, Heinola's second goal of the game, and Perfetti actually got an assist on this one, both in drawing the penalty and actually directly passing the puck to Vili, and so it's actually pretty nice to see all of the kids succeeding. I will say that Heinola's one-timer on the right side was pretty cool to watch. I think he's got an absolute cannon when he lets it go, especially around the face-off circles. And of course, we know that he and Perfetti are extremely good at just sort of doing a nice little give-and-go, exchanging positions, and they have such a high IQ that if you put them on the same power play unit, it's pretty much a guaranteed goal for somebody at least. Once both of these kids hit the NHL, I have a feeling that we're going to see some really great stuff. Aside from the newer prospects, I did like Leon Gavanki's game. I thought he had a couple of really nice shots on goal. He had some good zone transitions, and in general, I think Gavanki is going to be a nice top six defender. I would expect him to slot in as like a third pairing right-handed D, maybe even a second pairing if the Jets are very fortunate. If he can be somebody who's like a Morrissey light, I think that would be the best case scenario. You know, uh, I would say like the, the good version of Morrissey, not the current version of Morrissey, but somebody who's like capable of being a secondary source of offense from your blue line, can comfortably skate with a puck and move up and down the ice in transition, and isn't afraid to mix it up physically. You know, he's not like an overly defensive style of uh, blue liner, but I have to say that his offensive skills, especially when he's in possession of the puck, are all very sharp. I have to, I have to say I'm very impressed with him. I think his game has grown a lot since his OHL days, and I'm excited to see where he goes next.
That more or less covers all of the updates from around the league that I thought would be important for today. We'll probably have some more thoughts throughout the week as the Jets don't play until Thursday, so we've got a couple of days of content in between where it might be a little bit lighter on Jets stuff and more about general league things. Up next, though, it's time to talk about the Vancouver Canucks versus the Winnipeg Jets in a rematch that I thought could go either way for for the Jets. After lucking out a bit on the Friday heading into the weekend, I wasn't really sure which version of the Jets we were going to see. Of course, the results are always very interesting, and some surprising stuff happened in this game that I won't spoil for you quite yet, so stay tuned. Welcome back to this episode of the Locked on Winnipeg Jets podcast. After recapping some of the news from around the league, we are now going to start recapping Winnipeg versus Vancouver round two. Before we talk about last night, though, let's talk about today, more specifically Locked on Today. Get more of the sports news you need with our new Locked on Today podcast. Peter Bukowski hosts a breakdown of the biggest stories with analysis from our local experts. Start your day with all the sports news you need in under 20 minutes. Subscribe to Locked On Today on your favorite podcasting platform of choice. And now onto the main course, if you will, Winnipeg versus Vancouver, which was a very interesting game because we saw Pierre-Luc Dubois return to the lineup, and this time he was actually playing as a left wing on the first line alongside Mark Shifley and Blake Wheeler. This game is a tough one just because, in a lot of ways, as a fan, I was very excited about the outcome, but by the same token, there were a lot of process things where you're kind of like, what exactly is going on? Let's start off with the ugly stuff first, because it was all basically condensed to one particular period, and like, there were other bad parts of the game, especially in the second and third periods, but... By far, the, f- the worst of it was definitely in the opening 20 minutes. Honestly, man, Winnipeg kind of got steamrolled, and it was really, really sad to see because I felt like the Jets needed a big response after a game where they did win 2-0 against Vancouver earlier in the week, but I, I feel if you get kind of curb-stomped in-, in scoring chances and you really struggle to create, then you kind of need to come out in the second game and be assertive and aggressive on the puck, which I felt like Winnipeg just didn't really do. One of the issues that's plagued this the squad for the past couple of seasons is oftentimes they look very disorganized and confused, which is kind of what happened in this opening period. It felt like the Jets just really weren't in sync, and they, they definitely weren't on the same page. All four lines felt like they were getting roughed up. Even, you know, Ehlers, Stastny, and Connor definitely weren't safe. I mean, they were all getting roughed up a bit. Even the third line. I mean, everyone was just getting shelled, and I felt like the defense was really struggling too. Things didn't really get easier when Derek Forbort, you know, of course he's going to answer the fighting bell after the stuff between him and Niels Hoglander earlier, but the problem with him accepting a fight from, I think it was Zach McHugh, and you know, it's just, you take out your second best defender on the night for five minutes, which is a quarter of the first period, in a game in which you already look a step slower, and suddenly that shifts a lot of the defensive responsibilities onto Neil Pionk and somebody else who gets paired with him, so... It's just a really difficult situation, and it sets the tempo for a game where I felt like the Jets were in danger of getting run over. It didn't help that Vancouver scored a very quick early goal off of a weird bounce off the walls, where I think Hellebuck was thinking it was going to exit on the other side of the net, and instead it came out on the side that he wasn't really covering, and somebody else tucked it home for the Canucks, which was, of course, not a great way to start. I mean, it's one of those games where it's like a really fluky bounce, but by the same token, you sort of felt like that goal was coming. Vancouver had all of the early pressure, and things really weren't getting better. And then, of course, Elias Pettersson later scored a really beautiful between-the-legs goal after Vancouver had started to shell the Jets, and eventually you just know that Despite Hellebuck looking pretty sharp in net and making a variety of saves, you knew that at some point he was not going to be able to stop everything, and one of those chances came from Petherschon off of like two to three rebound chances. I'll say that like Hellebuck wasn't perfect either. He gave up a couple of rebounds that I probably wasn't thrilled with, and they were often in very dangerous areas where Vancouver skaters were prowling, but thankfully no one really took advantage, so I felt like the Jets maybe escaped a little bit with that one. And then, you know, the Jets kind of exited the period just looking a little bit tired, really slow, and disorganized, which is kind of a, a thing with this team. Oftentimes they come out playing what, you know, Paul Maurice 
lovingly describes as horse crap hockey. And I guess my challenge to the Jets is if you know that you're struggling with all of this, then why aren't very obvious and necessary changes made to try and facilitate a better start to these games? You know, if you understand that certain guys like Blake are struggling to keep up, not necessarily because they're bad players, but just because age is starting to catch up, is it really wise to constantly start them every game on the first line in really, you know, high demand roles? It's a really delicate balance because he does wear the C and he does deserve to play as like a top nine forward, but I think the bigger problem is, is that he's just not playing at the level that you can expect from somebody who's being paid as much as he is. And it's not really for lack of effort. I think Wheeler actually tries a little too hard sometimes, but I think the biggest problem with him is that, you know, his body's just not keeping up. He had a lot more, uh, I guess, positive offensive sequences inside the attacking areas, which I think was a good sign. You know, his passing looked pretty crisp. He had a couple of really good chances around the net. He had a couple of uh, more aggressive rushes that I think are more emblematic of some of his prime years. But beyond that, it's just been a tough road for him. And I feel like even with the recovery from an injury that he suffered earlier this year, it's just not been an easy ride. It's especially difficult because, you know, he's going to be playing with with, uh, Mark Shifley, and Shifley definitely needs a certain kind of player to keep up with him. I think a guy like Ehlers who dominates possession of the puck and lets Shifley kind of pick apart uh, opposing defensive structures from relative safety makes it a a little bit harder for both Wheeler and Shifley to play together because Wheeler isn't really as fast and he needs a little bit more support. At first, the addition of Pierre-Luc Dubois really wasn't making a significant impact. I think that that line really struggled, especially on the opening shifts, which isn't super surprising. Dubois has not played very much over the past several months, and of course he's just coming back from another injury, owing to again not really playing for weeks at a time. So it's it's been a bit of a rough struggle for this, this particular top line, and I think that the combo of Wheeler and Shifley long-term really needs to be examined. Last night, especially in the latter stages of the game, it did have more signs of promise, relatively speaking, but I think that this is a pretty low bar to clear. If your typical outing is getting shelled in the defensive zone and it's limiting your offensive creation elsewhere, there's probably something that needs to change. And it's not like Shifley and Wheeler together is the only problem. I'm starting to think that Cop and Lowry and Appleton isn't really working either. It just seems like Lowry is really starting to struggle these days, and it's a a bit of an odd change for him. He used to be a really good shutdown, you know, middle six center, but nowadays... I'm starting to wonder if he is declining a bit. He just doesn't seem as fast or as impactful as he used to be, which is a bit of a shame. I feel like at at times when he was in his peak prime, I guess so to speak, he was just an absolute monster, especially in transition. I do wonder if the kind of play that he has and the sort of physicality that he uses to create space is starting to take its toll on him. I have some more thoughts on all of this and the rest of the game in just a little bit. Before we go too much further though, I thought you should know a little bit about why Built Bar is one of my favorite protein bars and why it might become yours as well. Longtime listeners of this podcast know that I'm personally a big fan of Built Bars. If you've never had one, it's a protein bar that's more like a candy bar with a dark chocolate exterior and a soft chewy interior. Of their 12 original flavors, I highly recommend trying out raspberry and mint brownie. Both of those are excellent. But if you're also like me and you can't always decide, be sure to check out their variety box which includes all original 12 flavors plus 6 brand new flavors. That's right, six brand new flavors, and they include caramel brownie, cookies and cream, cherry barcia, lemon almond cheesecake, carrot cake, and apple almond crisp. I've had a chance to check them all out, and I have to say that lemon almond cheesecake might take it for me, but I think they're all delicious flavors, and you really can't go wrong. As good as Built Bars taste, though, they're even better for you, with most clocking in at around 200 calories or less, between 14 to 19 grams of protein, and 4 to 5 grams of net carbs. They're low-calorie, low-sugar, high in protein, and high in fiber, so they're great for keto diets as well as weight loss and weight maintenance programs. To place your order, go to BuiltBar.com, and when you do, be sure to use promo code LOCKEDON to receive 20% off your next order. Again, that's 20% off with promo code LOCKEDON at BuiltBar.com. 
When it comes to online betting, finding a trusted name and the best online betting services around can be a really tricky process. That's why you need to go to betonline.ag right now. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports action. Football might be over, but the NBA, college basketball, NHL, international football, tennis, and even more sports seasons are all in full swing. If sports betting isn't up your alley, BetOnline even covers awards, TV shows, and reality TV. They have the latest in real-time updated odds and propositions on almost anything you can imagine. Whether you want to cast a bet on who you think the next Stanley Cup champ is going to be, or who's getting voted off your favorite reality TV show, BetOnline also has you covered for all the news, scores, and odds you could possibly use, so you're always in the loop and armed with the latest information. Stop sitting on the sidelines and take charge of your sports fandom today. Go to betonline.ag where you can register for a free account. Signing up is super easy, and you can even do it from your mobile device. When you register, be sure to use promo code LOCKEDON to receive a 50% welcome bonus with your very first deposit. Again, that's promo code LOCKEDON for the 50% welcome bonus. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Welcome back to this edition of Locked on Winnipeg Jets. On this final segment, we are taking a look at the end of the game between the Vancouver Canucks and the Winnipeg Jets, which last we left off, the Jets were having a real tough time and they were down 2-0 in the first period. After getting smacked around in the first period, the second period was a lot more, I would say, normal. I wouldn't say the Jets were particularly great. They had a lot of trouble creating offense consistently, and I just felt like, in general, the performance was pretty listless. One of the core issues the Jets had was consistently penetrating Vancouver's slot area, which is kind of a problem that Winnipeg has had over the years. This is something where a lot of times they play a a lot of perimeter passes and shots that don't really get anywhere close to the goalie in terms of being a really dangerous opportunistic and hard to save strike. A lot of what Winnipeg has been doing is cycling around the perimeter, taking point shots and hoping for deflections, which in some cases does work. I just feel like for the Jets, they need to get a little bit closer because let's be honest, they have amazing shooters. Instead of trying to utilize them from distance, try and get a little bit closer in. We saw a really good example of this where uh, Shifley, Wheeler, and Dubois were in on the forecheck and Dubois cut in around the goal line and then sort of pulled back after Wheeler, I believe, took the puck and Dubois drifted back right side and ended up finding himself on the the far post, and Wheeler got him a really great pass that, you know, Dubois just tapped in. This is the sort of really high-danger sequence that I think Winnipeg hasn't had enough of this year. Sometimes they do it especially on the power play, but at even strength, there are many games where the Jets don't really get many looks like this. If they can find ways to get into these spaces and start tearing apart these defensive structures, I think it'll do a lot to help the Jets get both uh, a lot more goals and take some of the burden off the blue line, which has had a lot of issues because, you know, oftentimes it's not aggressive enough. The Jets D don't really activate very often, and so a lot of the forwards are basically on an island having to do everything themselves, and it limits the amount of times that you're going to find guys like Dubois in these really dangerous areas because there's no overload. It's constantly the forwards being outnumbered by the opposing defenders. Thankfully, a guy like Dubois is a really big kid, so he's kind of able to muscle himself into these softer areas, but for a lot of the other forwards, I felt like it was a tough draw. That didn't really change a whole lot of the complexion of the game, though. It was still a a one-goal game, and I think the Jets were again struggling to create offense, and that mostly continued into the third period. Winnipeg again wasn't super bad, but I also wouldn't say that they were, like, consistently great. And then they ended up getting a really fortunate counter rush with Mark Shifley, and Shifley just sort of leaked a puck right through Braden Holpe, which is sort of funny. You know, these are the shots that NHL goalies sort of kicked themselves for letting through because Holpe had to stop completely, but the puck just sort of, I don't know if it like leaked through the uh, the, the space between one of his pads and I, I guess one of his arms or something. I don't really know. It just sort of squeaked through, went over the line, and just like that, the Jets were tied. Things got even better later in the third period, even though they were sort of listless at even strength because the Jets got a late power play and Neil Pionk smacked one home to give the Jets a nice go-ahead goal. Pionk blasting these one-timers in is a great sign because I I feel like his power play distribution is still a little bit on the slower side, so it's better served for him just taking the shots himself. 
dude seems to have a cannon of a slap shot and a really great release. Of course, the Jets being the Jets, they couldn't really get away without some level of drama, and like right before the end of the period, they took a penalty, and you know, Vancouver pulls the goalie, 6 on 4, and Elias Pettersson gets a great shot and ties the game. It's really annoying because I felt like the Jets had done enough to get the lead, but of course with this team they often struggle to close the deal, and that, that's something that has been an issue again with the Jets for many years. They just don't play a full 60 minutes. Thankfully though, even though uh, Vancouver ended up forcing overtime, I will say that Paul Maurice to his credit decided to go with three forwards in overtime, which is like a small adjustment. Now I, I will say that the uh, personnel that they used probably doesn't make a whole lot of sense. The top line with Wheeler, Shifley, and Dubois went out there, and Wheeler almost coughed it up twice, which is pretty pretty scary, especially in overtime. But Dubois ended up getting the puck and led a really great counter transition through the neutral zone, and there were like two skaters there. It was Besser and I think maybe Quinn Hughes. Dubois seemed to recognize that the last skater back was Besser and basically faked to go towards the right and then cut back around, and I think Besser ended up biting on it really heavily because, again, he's a last skater back, but he's a forward, so he's not really focused on his defensive positioning as much, and Dubois just sort of cut outside, inside on him, did the signature power move of his that oftentimes we saw on his old goal highlights, and just ripped that puck short side as he cut across the grain in front of Holtby, which is like a very signature move for Dubois. He loves cutting from the outside in, getting that first step against the defender, and of course the defender basically has to hook him or take a really nasty penalty shot in order to dispossess him. So this is like vintage Dubois, a really great performance from him. He actually had an assist earlier on Pionk's goal, so it completed a really nice three-point night. And despite my misgivings about the first line, it was actually one of the stronger performing lines on the night, which doesn't say a whole lot because I felt like the third line got plastered, the fourth line was terrible with Nate Thompson, and the second line wasn't as dominant as it usually is. It had a few issues out there. So I imagine we'll see Dubois at center at some point, but maybe Maurice likes it enough to keep uh, Dubois on that first line at left wing until he's fully recovered. Either way, super excited to see PLD get a, uh, a really great three-point night with a two-goal uh, game-winning goal, too. And the Jets ended up taking it 4-3. to three. Winnipeg's next opponent is the struggling Habs, which will be a very interesting series, I'm sure. It'll be at home, and we'll see how Winnipeg handles this team. Montreal definitely has a lot of dangerous threats, especially when they're cornered and really up against the wall, but hopefully being on home ice gives the Jets some confidence. That will wrap it up for tonight's episode, though. We'll have more NHL coverage throughout the rest of the week until the Jets actually resume playing. Before you log off, though, be sure to check out Locked On Fantasy. Get the upper hand in your fantasy league with daily fantasy hockey advice from Locked On Fantasy Hockey. Expert Scott Cullen gives you the tips, insights, and analysis for season-long, dynasty, and DFS leagues, breaking down all the stats and information to keep you ahead of the competition. Subscribe to Locked On Fantasy Hockey wherever you get your favorite podcasts. And as always, thanks for listening. Have a great night, and go Jets go!